0: Okay, hi, this is Elliot Fishman and welcome to Facebook Live. It's uh, the 9th of uh, March, hope everybody's doing well. Um, Not that I need to remind you, but um, Stephanie did tell me that we changed clocks this Saturday night, Uh, what's that, spring forward, fall back. She also told me, reminded me, that Congress actually passed the law last year. It's amazing they pass any laws, but they passed the law that uh, we change the clock now, and then we change it again in October, and that'll be the last time we change it. Uh, The switching for daylight savings time is over. They've spoken about that for the last 50 or 60 years. At some point in history, it made sense, but now it doesn't make sense. It just costs a lot of money, costs a lot of confusion. Uh, you You know, guys working in the hospital know, like some of you working seven hours, some of you working nine hours the clock, the this, the that, how do you keep track of all these things? The people who get injured climbing to change the clock, to move the thing, the clocks that break changing the watch. I think once everybody went to iPhones or equivalent and the clocks automatically changed, you really then realized how dumb it was to keep changing things over and over again. I think it related something to do with farmers and farming and the cows, but I think the cows will adjust to uh, not switching the clock back. So this will be your next to last time switching, but uh, come the fall, it'll be uh, forever and ever. And then you can tell your children, in addition to uh, walking to school uphill both ways, when you were a kid, they used to switch the clock twice a year. Amazing. Um, I see John B. home from day, and he's glad DST, which is daylight savings time is over, and I would definitely agree with that. I don't know what it means, it's dark, it's light, I guess at the end of the day, the one thing I do know, every day is 24 hours, The seven days a week, and most years is about 365 days plus or minus one, usually more, plus one. Okay, um, today I'm going to speak about renal donors. Renal donors, you know, one of the great inventions, discoveries, was the ability to donate kidneys and do it laparoscopically. A lot of work was done at Hopkins to do it non-invasively. Just a tremendous life-saving thing for patients. Um, Many patients have renal failure. The number of patients who are in need of transplants but can't get them is, is thousands and thousands. And many of those people die every year waiting. Uh, work is being done. Robert Montgomery at NYU and his team are good examples of people working on novel solutions. People have worked on um, a uh, bionic kidney. Can you make a kidney that's by you know that, that works like a kidney, but is a implant like a cardiac implant perhaps? Uh, pa- people are working on using uh, animal models, using uh, pig kidneys as a transplant. So. We're obviously not there yet, we're getting closer. That'll be the ideal thing. In the short short term, and for many years, we'll be using living donors. So what is it that we do? When you have a patient donating a kidney, which is the ultimate donation, just about, you wanna make sure that you leave the patient who's donating a kidney with a really good kidney that will need to last the rest of their life some donors are a bit older but many are in their 20s and 30s and if you're in your 20s you've got 60 or 70 years to go we need to make sure that your kidney is really going to last forever so so that's that's what we need to do okay really simple so what do i need to do and how do we do it Uh, we have a new protocol section uh, we're working on for the website and you can see some of the stuff in there but Here's how we do it. Now, there's a big organization in the US that guides transplants, and this is the transplant protocol they, they have. You can argue a little bit, but it works well. So here's how it goes. You do a non-contrast scan of the kidney. Why, you ask? Look for stones. If one kidney has stones and one doesn't, you would donate the kidney with the stones, not the kidney without the stones. Then you do arterial phase imaging. You wanna look at the vascular map. You look at cortical medullary differentiation. Yes, you could exclude tumors, AV shunting. Mainly, you're looking for the renal arteries. Is there one or two or three or four? Where are the renal arteries? Is there pre branching? Is there FMD? Anything wrong with the renal arteries? Is there a reason I should pick one kidney over the other? Now, just remember, it's laparoscopic surgery. Ideally, you want to remove the left kidney. Many reasons, it's easier to approach the liver's on the right side, not the left side. Number two, the renal vein is longer, which makes it easier, remember the right, the right kidney is a short renal vein, and the renal artery is easier to grasp. And since everything is done laparoscopically, the left kidney is ideal. But if there's an issue with the right kidney, you'll have to remove the right kidney and save the left kidney. So. We're looking at the arteries: number, size, location. We're looking at the vein. Single? Is it on the left side, retroaortic, circumaortic? Are there, is there any abnormality in regard to the renal vein? And then delayed phase imaging. You're going to look at excretion of contrast. Make sure the kidney function normally, functions normally. But also looking at the calyces and ureters. Is there duplication of the collecting system? What other issues might the surgeon run into? when they do the laparoscopic procedure. So we have those four phases that give you all the information. Now, you're not really looking for a tumor. The patients are younger, as I mentioned, though sometimes they're older. But regardless of older or younger, the thing to remember, of course, is you wanna make sure there's no tumor. So if you see something, is it a simple cyst, Bosniac 1, is bosiac 2, bosiac 3, what needs to be done? So all those things become very important. Now in terms of post-processing, we'll also do post-processing. We do 3D imaging. It's much easier to see the orientation of the renal arteries in 3D. It's much easier to pick up pre branching. It's much easier to pick up small accessory renal arteries with 3D. I use a combination of volume rendering or cinematic rendering and MIP to look at it. MIP is very good, especially for looking at things like FMD. So we'll look at the vessels. We'll look for stenosis, particularly in older patients. We'll look for anything that could become important somewhere down the road. Now patients who get, who are not eligible to be donors, what might that be? Solitary kidney. That's easy. Horseshoe kidneys usually don't like to mess around with horseshoes unless it's the most thin isthmus in history, but typically horseshoe kidneys means you're not a donor, obviously scarring in your own kidney, obviously multiple renal calculi bilaterally, obviously the presence of a tumor. Anything that's gonna put you at risk where your kidney may need to be sacrificed or evaluated further at some point becomes an issue. So I think that's a very, very good way of doing it. We do three to five renal donors a week. It's one We also, I should mention, have to do renal size. Now we do, on the sagittal view, I measure the largest length of each kidney. Now length in and of itself is a bit tricky, right? Because you can have a long skinny kidney or a short fat kidney. So length, you can have a long length, but maybe not a lot of volume or a short length and a lot of volume. So length of itself is not perfect We also do volumes of the kidney because then you're looking at what's the amount of cortex you have. Now, it's very important to recognize when we do volumes, we do it and it's important not just to take the whole kidney because you take the whole kidney like this, you have the renal pelvis, you may have parapelvic cysts, you have a lot of stuff in the center of the kidney that's not really cortex. And so you might have a higher score for the cortex. The way we do it is we just get the cortex. We don't do the calyces, we don't do the renal pelvis because that's not cortex. We wanna know the volume of functioning kidney. So CT is very good for doing that. There's different software programs you could use. We use a, a velocity program that was actually for our pancreas but it works very well at doing organ volumes. So we like to do that and we routinely do that. Those are the main things, and that's the reports we give to the the transplant group, renal size, renal volumes, number of renal arteries, number of renal veins, and anything else that we think might be important. So that's renal donors. I hope that helps you. Make sure your protocols are correct. I'll say hello to John again, and I'll let everybody else go, and John is gonna do what he wants to do. I think it's okay out today in Baltimore. It's supposed to rain somewhat this weekend. But anyway i hope everyone's doing fine and i hope that helps you do the best case for your next renal donor have a great day everybody